Welcome to this episode of Mid-May, probably about politics. It is the long weekend of the May 2-4 weekend, even though it is as early as that weekend can be. The unofficial start of summer. (laughs) Here I am sitting in southern Ontario, where there is 50 millimeters of rain in the forecast over the next uh, long weekend day. (laughs) And uh, further, we can't even go outside to see anybody. So we've set the stage for... Um, My stage is different, but... uh, What is your stage? In almost every way, but it's pretty sunny out... I, I didn't know we could get time. different stages. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. That's what you have two co-hosts who are not in the same city. I think that that we get two stages. Oh. So I just want people to know the that while you're you might be a downer, I'm feeling. So as good. a group, we get different stages, but I'm stuck with this one. I'm not allowed to change it. Okay, <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah. I understand. That's fair. This episode, uh, despite despite the doom and gloom. Uh, hanging over my head and uh, the excitement uh, and sunshine that is Kaylee and her personality. Uh, we've got a, I don't even think we've got a mixed bag. We've got just good, cool, interesting stuff happening all around the world. Yeah, it's a busy week. We've got some good news. Uh, some of it about island nations uh, winning the fight against the man. We've got all Kaylee says is something that will spark conversation. I don't know if she says this is a good though. <laughs> then we're going to be heading to South America for our election mm-hmm. this week. There's somebody having an election because they have no positive tests, I guess, but many votes as one of the headlines said. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, what Antonio Gutierrez is doing. You can probably guess what he is up to. <laughs> um, so may, that might be short this week because we're trying to keep it positive. Uh, and then to satiate everybody who's been crying out and saying we don't want physics news about stuff that happens in space we don't want news about earthworms or plankton or whales or all of these other branches of science we want pure unadulterated space news what is happening in space and so i'm not saying oh this happens on earth and earth is in space or this happens you know kind of in the sun no we're looking at a planet with a telescope, okay? <laughs> We're yeah, looking. Yeah. We are doing no, I'm observational astronomy, okay? You're taking your telescope, yeah, a ground-based telescope, and a space telescope, <laughs> and an orbiter. So we're doing. We got like spaceships, space telescopes, ground telescopes, looking at stuff that you can see out of your backyard with a pair of binoculars. That's the kind of space news we're talking wow. about. I can't imagine how this could be more about space. This is salt of the earth space news. (laughs) (laughs) Who says we don't give the people what they want? Yeah, this is Joe the plumber space news. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the things we're talking about in the future. Right now, we're talking about good news. Mm -hmm. And because Kaylee's good news is going to spark, quote, conversation between us, which I'm not sure is good. Wow. Now I feel so much more stressed (laughs) about, about talking about it but yeah okay we're heading to the indian ocean for my news we're heading to the Mm -hmm. maldives which is a collection of approximately 1200 small islands and there's one popular island there's many popular islands but one in particular island in the maldives is Mm razdu and 
nearby residue, there is another island named Madvaru. Okay. Okay. So we're just south of India in the Indian Ocean, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of tourists that go to Razdu, which is this, it's pretty small island with, you know, just, it's basically hotels and restaurants and stuff for tourists to come to. Now, they've got this other little island, uh, Madavaro, about a kilometer away, uh, where uh, Razdu, all of its um, shoreline is kind of rocky and stuff and not great for like snorkeling necessarily. And so mm-hmm. they'll go to this other place called that they call Picnic Islands. And they'll go to this place called Madavaru with their tourists and they'll bring them there and they can hang out on the nice sandy tiny beach and go snorkeling and stuff and look at the coral reefs. And so there were some, and now maybe we'll play some ominous music here, foreign <laughs> investors, people who wanted to oh. build... <laughs> hotels and take these people's land from beneath their feet um because oh Madavaru is a pretty small basically it's an atoll right it's like basically a mm-hmm, little bit yeah, of sand yeah. that barely juts out of the ground and so mm-hmm. this big international conglomerate comes in and they're like hey guys we see that you have your island that people mm-hmm. live on mm-hmm. <laughs> and have to have you know food and water <laughs> and make their living but what about if we take the little island that you take all these people to, buy it from you without your without mm-hmm. the locals' permission, but just the yeah. at the national level buy it from them, then we'll take that island, we'll dredge the sea nearby, get, take a bunch of sand up, make a larger mm-hmm. island, turn this atoll into a larger island, and then build yeah. a hotel on it. All meanwhile mm. yeah. destroying the coral reef. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it seems like a terrible idea. It was a terrible idea. And for once, it didn't happen. Whoa, okay. Back in 2015, this sale happened. And then Mm -hmm. the group, uh, a local group started a grassroots campaign saying, hey, this is is real. This is craziness that this is going to happen. This tiny island, it's super dangerous for this coral reef that's important for biodiversity. Mm -hmm. Then we get this other uh, institution comes in and says, hey, this is actually a really important area. And you're going to be making money by building this hotel. But actually, these other islands are going to lose a bunch of money because of the environmental destruction that happens because of the loss of all this Mm -hmm. value from these coral reefs and all this stuff. And it's going to change all the ways that all of these environmental factors happen in this region. And so it got designated Mm -hmm. this environmentally important region back in 2017. And finally, now the whole thing's changed and they're not going to build the resort they're not going to dredge the ocean. The people get their little island back. And wow. everybody's happy. It actually worked. <laughs> people said, hey, big wow. guy, I don't want you to do that as a little guy. And then the big guy had to stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's ex- it's exciting that it works out. It feels like that's the headline you click on and it's like, nah, this isn't going to work out mm-hmm. in the end. But I'm glad that it did. I do somewhat wish that, like, you know, it didn't take, like, this being, like, a a very important environmental zone to Mm -hmm. be, like, we can't uh, move these people from their homes and uh, destroy destroy their property uh, because (laughs) we want to build a hotel. Yeah. But... Uh, but look, if it works, it works. Uh, let's, uh, let's hope for future success, I guess. Yeah. And now it's, uh, it's owned by this environmental protection agency in the Maldives and managed Mm -hmm. by the Razdu Atoll Council. 
So oh, the locals nice. get control so, again. Yeah. And uh, the coral reefs are protected and uh, everybody's happy. Yeah. A win, win, win. You can still go there too. You can still go there. Yeah. Um, and it's being well managed. So you can look at the coral reef with your snorkel for all eternity. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, yeah, as long as it's still there, I guess. Uh, well, okay. Also a, yeah, it doesn't, we don't need to get into Because rocks. the sands <laughs> shift. There's strong winds on the ocean. Yeah. It'll move the atoll around, but it'll be natural. Right, Kaylee? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Spark conversation. Yeah. There's no conversation to be had here because it's just a okay. good story. What do you say? Okay. Yeah. Listen, uh, The so the World Health Organization has recently said that walking and cycling are the safest means of transportation to reduce exposure to COVID-19. And a result of that has been that many cities around the world have been building new cycling paths or expanding and scaling up like uh, car-free street initiatives. Like um, many cities, like I I think New York, like one Saturday a month would shut down many of their avenues just to make it pedestrian. And so cities have been expanding that. Bogota... Colombia has made uh, 47 miles of new temporary bike routes um, and uh, car and increased the number of autom- uh, uh, of uh, converting like automobile lanes to be bike lanes. Uh, okay. Paris has also made some car free streets and many like uh, what they're calling Corona cycleways. Um, but they, they have sort of a larger uh, mobility plan that as a result of this, like once they've done it, they're going to make them more permanent. Um, and accelerating like the creation of a cycle highway and so like there's a few there's many cities around the world that are sort of doing this and I when I was reading about it it got me kind of interested um, in sort of urban design and how we change we can change the designs of our cities to make them more accessible Mm -hmm. Uh, the narrowness of sidewalks in a lot of cities has always been a mobility issue and accessibility issue for many people who live in in cities but as a result of corona we're probably going to have to sort of expand it, uh, expands, expand many sidewalks to accommodate the distance that now needs to exist. But mm-hmm. then this also has the benefit of creating permanent change the way the cities are designed. Cool. Yeah, I think it was interesting because I, 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 so I was like kind of Googling about it. And the New York Times wrote an article about how um, many urban design choices have come as a result of like these sorts of crises. Mm. Um, in the 19th century, uh, malaria, which literally means bad air, was <laughs> believed to be the result of poor ventilation. And so Central Park got built in New York City. Huh. Um, and in Paris, call- the cholera epidemic made, made triggered the building of one of the biggest sewage systems in Europe. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a, how these sort of events can trigger necessary city design and urban designs that maybe have always have always been necessary for creating more equality and accessibility mm-hmm. but maybe weren't triggered until a crisis moment hmm. i mean in, in a similar vein to this good news that i was actually going to include uh but then i switched mm-hmm. over to this maldives thing uh, yeah <laughs> was that uh <laughs> new york recently set a record for most days without a pedestrian fatality from a car accident yeah. it's been like Two yeah. full months. It's been I, this was fifty-eight days, but this was four days ago, and I haven't heard of the mm-hmm. record being broken now. So it yeah. seems like finally getting cars off the street and people walking around. Yeah. Good things are happening, and yeah, I've seen some stuff like this of people being like, "You can't walk around anyway, and be two meters mm-hmm. away from people on sidewalks at all because most yeah. sidewalks aren't yeah. two meters wide." No, and yeah, it makes sense that 
this would help accessibility and also like in the future any transmissible diseases like mm-hmm. it's just better to be a little bit further apart from each other <laughs> yes yeah it's better to have space yeah it's better so, to have space I, it's better to be able to walk places better to be able to bike places and it's yeah. better to not have to stay in your house all winter because your sidewalk's not cleared and you're in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and you can't get to the bus. Yeah. And the accommodation of, of cars and cities is very much an accommodation, of, generally speaking, of people who don't live in cities. Mm-hmm. So cities aren't being designed to accommodate the people who are actually living inside them. Yeah. Um, and another interesting one that, that uh, one of the articles I mentioned, I read mentioned was uh, in the, the one in the New York Times, I think, was that uh, some uh, European cities are uh, eliminating tolls for their public transportation. Uh, so as to, and increasing cycles of the public transportation to mm-hmm. incre- decrease the number of people on it and avoid having to make a transaction at the front of the bus. Mm-hmm. So they ca- can come in on the back of the bus. And it was sort of mentioning like, like, this, like many other, uh, like expanding your sidewalks or increasing the number of bicycle lanes, kind of once you do it and you realize that it's possible, it's a lot harder to come back from it. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of why these crises can be a, an interesting time for experimentation, I guess. You know what? Saying once you do something, it's really hard to come back from it reminds me of a story in marketing that I experienced sure. firsthand growing okay. up in a small town with uh there's this chinese buffet restaurant mm-hmm. and you went there you get lunch buffet 699 seven dollars mm-hmm. for lunch buffet mm-hmm. all you can eat and mm-hmm. notably you could get free dessert they had little like puffs with whipped cream on top or uh mm-hmm. jello in this little fridge you could go get all you can eat as well yeah then yeah 19 years after opening kaylee Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they changed the rules that it actually costs a dollar to get the dessert. Mm-hmm. This made the news. This made front page news in that this <laughs> restaurant was now charging a dollar for what had been free for 19 years. Mm-hmm. And the owner comes out and says, well, no, this was a it, <laughs> this was a promotion. See, when we first opened, we were going to do free dessert <laughs> for a week. But everybody loved yeah. it so much, we didn't want to get rid of it. <laughs> and so... <laughs> We maintained for the first 19 years of our operation free dessert every single Jeez. day. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, you're going to make me pay a dollar for a little bit of jello? Yeah. No, sir. The outrage that happened, mm-hmm. they they, yeah. they changed back. They changed back within a week. All the, all the dessert yeah. was free again. Because, I mean, you're already paying for the buffet. It was crazy. Yeah. So here's the thing. If buses are free for like a year because you can't get on the front, go ahead and try to make them cost $4 a ride again. Let's see how it works. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, because you know that they can do it mm-hmm. is the problem. It, it, and I, I think that we'll see a lot of areas of life that this like comes up in. Yeah. Like the government has been able to do this. We know that this can happen. Yeah, you can give me the jello businesses. for free, man. You yeah. can give us two, <laughs> two grand a month <laughs> if we need it. <laughs> yeah. And and it's good and it's working out or it creates better and healthier societies and it's it's uh, you know and Jello free Jello makes a happier society. That's what I'm saying. Um, yeah. So uh, I think this is it's like it'll be interesting to see uh, in many areas the the sort of exciting things that come out of it. But I think both of us have spent some time in in bigger cities like Toronto and I think some exciting innovative urban design choices could really. Uh, 
you know, could really make that a more livable place for more people. No, Kaylee, we need a $1 billion subway extension to the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, for, for our many global listeners, let's not get into uh, a, a debate about, uh, a too detailed debate about Toronto's uh, public infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You know what happened, Kaylee, was that at that mm-hmm. restaurant, a lot of people went and they didn't even eat the dessert. And nobody yeah, went there and just ate only Jello. So the fact is, yeah. if you make buses free, it's not like every yeah. single person is going to use the bus and take advantage of the system. If you give people no. UBI, it's not like everybody's going to quit their job and only eat Jello and only make two thousand dollars yeah. a month. That's not the thing. People are still going to go and go to other restaurants and eat food that's fine and go to this place. Sure, it's seven dollars. Mm-hmm. You get all you can eat, and you get a free Jello. But nobody gives a damn about the Jello. It's the principle of the thing. Yeah. anyway we're we're deeply off the rails at this point so (laughs) this is good news and you you wanted something that triggered public discussion (laughs) or triggered discussion between us and i think it did maybe not necessarily how i'd imagined it but i find in (laughs) podcasting that's rarely the case so (sighs) all right so we have some serious business to get down to yes we are going to a location, a continent which we haven't covered so much in previous seasons, but recently we've covered them with the car wash scandal. We've covered the Brazilian election, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been in South America, I think, quite a bit recently. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're staying there. Yeah. In this episode, we are covering the uh, election, the parliamentary election in Suriname. Suriname, for those of you who don't know, it's in northern South America. <laughs> <laughs> uh population of you know approximately halifax <laughs> just yeah, uh, just under not a... <laughs> yeah just under six hundred thousand ish mm-hmm. and a country that had a kind of rocky past let's say 40 years with independence then dictatorship mm-hmm. then civil war then uh real like democracy coming in but then the democracy appointing the leader of the uh dictatorship coming back around mm-hmm. um and then now this guy who's in charge who was like you know because i'm president then i can't commit crimes so then they say he's not a criminal but then internationally they say he is uh his brother mm-hmm. as kaylee was mentioning earlier was in jail for his son his his son oh apple okay never mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know cats we don't want to leave let the cat out of the bag just yet maybe yes so <laughs> this is where we are okay the biodiversity is off the charts in Suriname. it's a beautiful place yeah it's amazing and also like uh one of the most ethnically and culturally diverse in the world uh, i think i read it somewhere it's beautiful like just yeah it was previously uh a dutch colony mm-hmm. which i feel like I think it's the only dutch speaking place outside of europe yeah i'm like i maybe i just don't know my colonial history well enough which is rare because <laughs> i feel like that's most of the history that we get taught but <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh i feel like dutch colonies yeah you don't hear about them that often and so here we are in certain yeah yeah it, I, I i don't know much about uh the the netherlands uh colonial history i i don't think it was the focus mm-hmm. um and but yes they did they did have this now very small country in Suriname, and they still i think to a certain degree uh play a pretty heavy role there i think also dutch is like the official language it is the official of language the, of Suriname. 
country. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's. I think even beyond the last forty years, it's been like rocky. I mean, like, but many many countries, as we've talked about in South uh, South America and globally, dealing with uh, the after effects of colonialism, have had kind of a rocky pathway to democracy. And uh, I I don't think this will spoil it for the listeners to uh, tell them that you know this the story might sound somewhat familiar with uh in, in terms of how how things have gone over the last 40 years. Well, okay, so here's something that might sound familiar to the listeners. Suriname, a small country of half a million people uh, that's had a rocky Mm -hmm. history with democracy, uh, has Mm -hmm. proportional representation. And for some (laughs) reason, I don't want to get back on this, (laughs) beating this horse. (laughs) Yeah. But come on, people. So basically, the Suriname parliament is up for election. There's Mm -hmm. 51 seats. There's currently... Uh, a majority government for the first time in a long time uh the Mm -hmm. ndp (laughs) (laughs) yes one of the most famous ndp parties i can think of yes the ndp has 26 seats um and the president is desi uh who caleb will fill fill us in on who he is (laughs) yeah so uh and i think like kind of an interesting note here is that the the parliament once it's elected sort of picks the president yes um so there's this is like a pretty consequential election that also very closely connects to the president um so we're not just focusing on the president um and not the parliamentary election Mm -hmm. it's actually you know this the outcome of the parliamentary election determines who will be the president yes um Yes. Anyway, so uh, Desi Bout- uh, Boutresse, uh as the one article I read said about him, is a two-time coup leader, two-term president, and convicted drug, tra- drug trafficker. Um, and he's dominated Suriname's politics since uh, about 1980, uh, yes. when he took over in a military coup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He uh, He's recently... So the, the big... Th- this is kind of a big election. He's been very dominant. Um, he kind of rose to power since, like, his power has increased since about, I think, 2010. Yeah. Um, and now, uh, and he's still in power. And, and and I think he looks reasonably likely to to do well. There's a few reasons, and we'll get into that later, why that might be uh, somewhat COVID-related. Um, but this is, uh, it's a big deal because he was also convicted of uh, murder and uh several or yeah convicted of murder and crimes um related to his time as a a dictator Mm -hmm. um this has sort of been ongoing back and forth for uh, a while like uh in so he's accused of in december uh of 1982 of murdering 15 leading opposition figures um but in 2012 the the national assembly of Suriname gave him amnesty. Uh, there was some back and forth on that, and uh, then finally, uh, just this fall, last fall, uh, uh, the courts convicted him of of murder, and he was to serve twenty years in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he can remain president, he probably won't have to serve that because you get an amnesty by being the leader of the country, I guess which we've seen before in other elections and I still don't think is a great policy. Yeah, which is still like I mean, we we've seen we've seen this in uh even like in the United States, right? In the mm-hmm, 20th yeah. century where uh 
president who would have been impeached then steps down, mm-hmm. uh, resigns, yeah. and then the next president then pardons that past president, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And this is a really wild thing to me. <laughs> and I think to a lot of people <laughs> that you're like, yeah, but it's kind it's kind of like how it's like oh the queen doesn't have a passport because mm-hmm. the passport is saying that the queen says that you are like who you say you are but like yeah. the queen can't say that to themselves and so like if you're the head of the government but the government's actually the people in an abstract sense then if you're the leader of that and you're the you know it feels as though yeah. you shouldn't be above the law but it seems as though many uh, leaders of government around the world are by the courts they say yeah. yeah you cannot be tried for this type of thing yeah it seems very based like the idea that they get to be above law is like based under this like this like good faith understanding that they will follow like the rule like mm-hmm. like you are you've been selected by your people therefore you must be like a certain level of like above uh above reproach and like willing to follow like sort of the unwritten rules that exist um and etiquettes Mm -hmm. uh but you know that seems like we could use some more fail safes that we have yeah and part of it is like oh well then your political opponents can just like say that you're a criminal Mm -hmm. and then like we can like we can we can rig the courts so that you end up Mm -hmm. and it's like uh it seems like more often than not it's not (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i mean that does that could happen and it doesn't happen so frequently mm-hmm. because of laws like this and also when it does yes, happen yeah. probably wouldn't make the news that much because the whole mm-hmm. the whole idea then is that this other you know powerful group is doing mm-hmm. this and they're probably suppressing yeah. their free speech and uh, yes yeah yeah it's important to note that um while being a small country this hasn't really gone um unnoticed mm-hmm. uh, uh there is an a warrant out by Europol for his arrest. Uh, that's somewhat more tied to the fact that until 2006, he was probably still an active, actively involved in the drug trade. Yes. Um, but you know, there's a, there's a, uh, probably multiple reasons that he's, uh, there's a warrant out for his arrest. Um, and the Netherlands convicted him to 11 years imprisonment for cocaine trafficking as well. Over 20 years ago, they convicted him. Of that and he yeah. hasn't served a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but it's been like it's and it's been tricky to uh, I think manage. He has some many supporters, I guess, within like he keeps supporters in positions of power near him. Um, but also like uh, I think uh, six people involved in the trial for his murder, uh, the murders that he committed mm-hmm. have died. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I, you can see how this is, you know, the while uh, while it, like your opposition parties and stuff might be able to try and drag you down for crimes. This is similarly true of a leader who's in power. They can really shut down, um, you know, uh, attempts to bring justice uh, pretty easily if their power is too centered around them. Mm -hmm. Um, He also made the day that he uh, murdered these people like a national holiday and gave uh, people like the highest, the country's highest honor. So yeah, he's not a great guy. Mm. Uh, I think pretty unquestionably. What were you mentioning about how they look like they're going to stay in power and COVID might play a role in that? Yeah, so you said it earlier, like there's no cases, but there's still a certain degree of like lockdown that has to have happened. And so it's limited the ability of the other 17 uh, 
I think, I think 17 different parties that are running to go on campaign. Um, but the end, there has been some suspicion that the NDP's, uh, activities that have been government business because they're in charge, um, have actually been campaign rallies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that seems reasonably something that could be thought that could be happening. Um, so there's, there's some inequality in the ability to, um, campaign. Um, and there's some thought that the, they're using, they're using their power as the government, uh, and in its position of trust to create greater health risks, uh, for the, the population that, uh, will be voting for them. Mm. Um, it is worth noting, I guess that the, they have agreed to have, um, OAS electoral observers, uh, come and, and, you know, observe the election. Uh, the, uh, that's the Organization of American States. Uh, sorry to, to name the acronym. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they've they've been invited in and given immunity in order to observe how the election goes and is held out. And they're saying that they, they want to hold up the highest uh, democratic processes and implement the appropriate procedure to accommodate COVID. So it, we'll see. I, just because you have an electoral observe observers does not mean that your election will uh run smoothly and fairly but uh it is always a good thing to see a country do i guess yeah and i mean interestingly the ndp uh with desi patersi as leader since the uh since the mid 80s have won more and more seats yeah they have the popular mandate right now with 26 Mm -hmm. seats uh with a little under half of the actual total percentage of vote in 2015 yeah uh, and it looks like it'll probably uh, be similar going forward. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be interesting. There was one article I was reading that um, in the Global Americans that was sort of saying that um, a mixture of COVID and the crashing oil prices could create a problem for in combination with the fact that he he really has been convicted of, of murder in his own country. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this will play out like they're there is sort of a, an opening here. Um, uh, but it's hard to say really what that will look like. Uh, but the, yeah, the crashing oil prices and sort of the instability that is attached with him having been convicted of murder, uh, sort of means that a lot of major oil companies that were previously going to come in and, and, uh, uh, help the economy of the country that has sort of waned since some of their, their, they like had a lot of gold mining and, um, what is it, uh, called the stuff that makes aluminum. They also had mining for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Boxit, Boxit, I think is B A U X I T E. Okay. Anyway, they had, they had that, uh, and, and, and so they'd had a fair bit of like, they'd been a pretty middle income country for a long time, but mm-hmm. that, that has sort of all shut down. Um, so, uh, oil is kind of, was kind of the big hope. Um, and if that can't play out because even more so because of uh, Gutierrez. Uh, that could be something that plays in the voters' minds. There's a, a chance that something different will happen. Yeah, I mean, financially, the the country seems to be in, in trouble with a, a shrinking GDP over the last couple of years and 2020 uh, mm-hmm. you know, global recession so far. <laughs> um, doesn't look <laughs> so hot going forward. Um, but does Suriname? I learned a bunch about Suriname for the first time. Uh, yeah. Seems like a seems like a beautiful place uh yeah seems like a very it interesting country seems very interesting 
Yeah, very interesting. Uh, kind of probably overshadowed a bit by uh, being so close to Brazil and also being so incredibly tiny. But uh, good to good to know that it exists. The largest country we've talked about so far, bigger than the Maldives. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. And they were about to be the headquarters for Hezbollah until uh, Gutierrez's uh, son got arrested in the U.S. So. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kaylee, give us yes. a lowdown on our our main our main man. Ah, uh, yes, S- uh, Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez is uh, similar to us, still uh, still self isolating um, and advocating for governments to put in place the appropriate and necessary measures to uh, uh, adapt and combat COVID nineteen. Um, I think in the the last time we ta- we visited with uh, visited with Gutierrez, he was he was talking about the inequalities of access um, that governments need to think about. And this time, it's his big push uh, is on mental health services and making sure that they are a part of uh, they are a part of the government's uh, responses to COVID nineteen. Uh, I think it's an interesting uh, and and pro- uh, probably a very good push. I think that that that's been a topic of conversation around the virus for a long time. Is that you know the self self isolation and the inability to be with loved ones who have who are sick or who have passed and many other reasons can be a problem. But in addition, people who already had pre existing mental health conditions probably experienced compounded impacts. And so he's push really pushing for governments to make sure that they are aware of that in how they build out their policy. Um, and uh, that seems like a good thing. Uh, and then uh, good, good work, uh, good focus for him to take. Um, and uh, another area maybe we could see, you know, similar to what we're talking about with like urban design and stuff where we could see progress made in, in, in interesting policies to support mental health. Seems like uh, good work from Antonio. Seems yeah. like I mean, he's always seems to be plucking away. He's always just thinking about stuff. He's always a step ahead, you know. It's like, <laughs> oh, yep, probably should be thinking about that. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So let's everybody and and you know what? Everybody should be thinking about their mental health. This is a hard time. I hope everybody's doing well and uh, doing what they got to do. But now I'm very excited because I've been promised space out the wazoo and i want space news <laughs> okay space news so kelly we got we're talking about jupiter okay okay it's a big planet right yes Very big. jupiter is a gas giant you may have seen this right so it's like if you see all the stuff that's in the solar system mm-hmm. right and you get a breakdown of it like the sun mm-hmm. makes up like 99.99% of all of the mass in the solar system. Yeah. Like it's really it's really mostly all all the sun because it's just so much yeah. so much more massive than anything else. So much bigger than earth. You can feel like a million earths inside of it. Wow. But then you're like, okay, the second biggest thing then. What's that? That's Jupiter. Jupiter mm-hmm. has the the remaining 0.01% of all the mass in the in the solar system is Jupiter. And the rest the rest is the the rest of the mass of everything is a rounding error of a rounding error. Like we we were nothing in the solar system compared to Jupiter and the sun, okay? Jeez. Jupiter is super cool and actually it's kind of hot, but you know, more or less it's a cool place. 
because um, it's what's known as like a a failed star. So like if it was bigger, okay. it would be able to actually like do stuff like the sun does, like have that nuclear reaction yeah. at its core. Um, but it's not heavy enough to compress itself in and start and start this. So yeah. it's destined to just kind of be this ball of gas for the rest of its life. But really feels like you've uh you're like it feels like everybody's pretty down on it for it's like uh you could have been the sun buddy but you, you missed your chance <laughs> okay and, i don't know well jupiter has been kind of on astronomers minds for over 400 years now right okay galileo first saw its moons in the early 1600s you could see jupiter with the first telescopes because it's so huge and pretty bright in the sky and so People have been observing Jupiter for a super duper long time. As far as like uh, like real scientific observations go, Jupiter is yeah. basically the name of the game, okay? Okay, because it's so big. Because it's so big and easy to see. Like you can go outside yeah. with a pair of binoculars and you can make out Jupiter pretty nicely. Huh. Um, huh. And so Jupiter is well known for having this really interesting feature on its surface. The other gas giants are mm-hmm. just blue, meh. Or they have a ring around it, which is super cool with Saturn. Um, but mm-hmm. their their surfaces are kind of just like lines or, you know, just yeah. kind of boring blue. But Jupiter, as you may know or recall, has the has the uh, the great storm on it, like the great red spot. Okay. Do you recall yeah, this? Sure. It looks like a big no. open sore on the surface of this planet. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think like visually I can imagine a planet that looks like that, but I don't know that it would have been like, that's Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, like Saturn has yeah. the rings, right? But Jupiter is just a ball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so anyway, this this great red spot, there, there have been observations made made of this spot for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the fact mm-hmm. is that we've determined is that it's not actually, it's not like on a rocky planet where there's just like a big circle drawn on the surface. It, because mm-hmm. it's a gas giant, this is actually an enormous region of the surface where there is just a huge storm, like a hurricane. Okay. The size of like Earth happening on Jupiter's <laughs> surface. All right. Okay. Been there for hundreds yeah. and hundreds of years and will continue to be there for hundreds of years into the future, but eventually will dissipate. This great red spot will disappear. Um, It's just like a forever storm. Yeah. But not not really forever. Not forever, but thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. So, I mean, like on an astronomical timescale, short. But on the timescale of anything that really matters, very long. (laughs) (laughs) And so we've been looking at this spot for hundreds of years. And you might might be imagining it as just a red circle. The circle mm-hmm. itself kind of shifts and changes every time people would look at it. Mm-hmm. And on this on the spot, as we've gotten more advanced telescopes, we've seen that there's these black spots on the surface of mm-hmm. the spot. And until last week, it was unknown as to whether or not these spots were like black gases for some reason in it. Okay. Or if mm-hmm. the spots were the absence of gases that had color that we could see in the visible spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, Kaylee. Yeah. I want you to guess. Do you think these black spots were stuff or the absence of stuff? <laughs> uh, it's 50-50. I think, th- okay, I think they're the absence of stuff. You nailed it. Because in space, it's normally, oh, you were missing something. So that's yeah. why we see nothing. <laughs> and so... These, this group met, led by Michael Wong at UC Berkeley in California... Um, used three different telescopes and took a ton of images. 
So mm-hmm. they used um, Juno, which is an or which is an orbiter that goes around Jupiter. So Juno okay. was looking every fifty three days takes a picture of the red spot, and mm-hmm. Juno looks in radio waves. Okay, <laughs> and sure. so when it's, I don't know what that means necessarily, but yeah. So it's like just yeah. So it can see. Uh, so radio waves are just really low wavelength light. So it's okay. the stuff that like radio stations propagate their signals on. Mm-hmm. We call them radio waves mm-hmm. because radio stations use them. Oh, okay. Um, so Juno can see like storms and stuff underneath the clouds because it can get through the clouds with the radio mm-hmm. waves. Gemini, which is an Earth-based telescope, can see infrared light. So infrared light is slightly longer than red light. So it's kind of low wavelength. Mm-hmm. And then... Okay. Um, the third telescope that they used is the Hubble Space Telescope, which mm-hmm. looks heard the, of that one. Yeah, exactly. It's like basically the most yeah. famous space telescope, um, and it looks in the visible wavelength. Mm-hmm. So, with all of this information together, they could see with the visible wavelength. They're like, okay, this spot has, um, you know, a black spot, and around it is white spots. And then Mm -hmm. with Juno, they could look and say, whoa, there's actually like really cool electrical storms happening in those white spots. And there's no storms happening in those black spots. So it seems like there's no clouds there. And then Mm -hmm. further, Gemini, which is the the ground-based telescope, looked in the infrared light. And they could see that the black spots were actually really bright. Mm -hmm. Where in the visible, they're dark. In the infrared, they're really bright, which shows that there's nothing there because the infrared light that's emitted by jupiter Mm -hmm. can get through those spots so because we can Uh. see things in a different wavelength that means there's nothing there to block it basically and so it's this kind of like really cool work using a bunch of different telescopes that do different things and like actually using ground-based telescopes to do you know Mm -hmm. useful astronomy um and on other planets because like if you're looking at other stars and stuff you can more easily use that type of stuff um but Mm -hmm. to look at planets it's actually really hard to look at like feature sizes on planets Um, yeah because like this like this gemini telescope has a 500 kilometer resolution so it can only see things 500 kilometers big (laughs) separated from each other right which sounds bad right which sounds like like you can't really see that much on the surface of jupiter but that's equivalent to being able to see the difference between two headlights in new york if you were in los Mm -hmm. angeles okay well that's insane yeah but uh (laughs) so like that is how good the resolution is yeah but And I think this is the part that you're going to like, Kaylee, is that yeah. the ground-based telescopes, the issue is that you're looking through the Earth's atmosphere, mm-hmm. right? And the Earth's atmosphere just yeah. made up of like random, is just made up of like nitrogen and oxygen all moving around and like some clouds and some smog. And it's like, mm-hmm. co- it's warmer on Earth, but then it's colder in the upper atmosphere and all this stuff's moving around. And so when you're mm-hmm. looking through it, similar to when you're looking over um, like your barbecue or something and like the 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 air is all kind of like distorted uh, yeah over. yeah when you're looking yeah. through the atmosphere with a telescope and you're trying to determine the difference between two headlights thousands of kilometers away it's really yeah. important that those kind of waves all don't mess your stuff up and so mm-hmm. how do you think a scientist would go about saying how do we get the best conditions when this is not happening uh well, you could we, do wait <laughs> you could do something okay you, fancy, go, you could tell right? me 
yeah, yeah. And try yeah. and determine all the atmospheric physics and all of the different things and get some crazy optics that mm-hmm. can correct for all this. Or yeah. you can just take a ton of pictures and do what's called yeah, lucky imaging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, science. Science so, is... Uh... What, yeah. what these guys did was they were just like, you know what? We're just going to take hundreds and hundreds of pictures and hopefully one of them turns out nice. <laughs> and then they <laughs> use that with really great resolution of how many pictures they take and at what times. And they match it up with their Hubble yeah. observations and with their Juno observations of seeing the flashes of mm-hmm. light and seeing the clouds lit up and then seeing the bright yeah. spots in the middle with the infrared light and stuff. They match it all up. They get really great resolution and they find out that the great red spot has black spots in it and those black spots are where there are no clouds so but it gets this uh this quote-unquote scientific name like we get to act as if they've like come up with some sort of theory for how to do it when really they're just like keep taking pictures boys yeah it's like oh my cat's always moving around and i try to take pictures of them i'm just going to take a really fast shutter and just take a bunch and hopefully (laughs) hopefully he's not moving (laughs) one time you know what this makes me want to do uh, my brother, I think, has a telescope. Maybe I'll get a, maybe I'll go look at a telescope tonight. Yeah, just a little backyard so, telescope. Yeah. You can see the rings of Saturn. And, okay. And with a, well, that'll be cool. And with a decent small telescope, they might be a little bit. Pro- this is probably outside the range of your brother's telescope. You can see yeah. the you can see the great red spot. I mean, Galileo oh, could right. see it hundreds of years ago. You can see the ring. You can see the rings of Saturn. You can see like the moons of Jupiter, probably. Speaking of Galileo, did you know, did I tell you that one time I saw his finger? I'm shocked. I am speechless. <laughs> Where? <laughs> okay. If you, after, after COVID is all done and we're all allowed to travel again, if you go to Florence, Italy's uh, science museum okay. in a case, uh, in a glass case, they have, uh, you can't see me doing this, but Alex will be able to see it, is like Galileo's bony finger just like pointing. <laughs> Uh, and it's you can look at it and they're like this is his finger and I was like oh that's cool that's something I've seen now wow um, it was highlight highlight of Florence not really <laughs> it's a beautiful city uh, <laughs> there, there were many other things but that was that was something that uh, occurred to me when you were speaking is it pointing at anything do they use it as like a washrooms that way and they put his finger on the wall <laughs> <laughs> well so they don't not with that but I think it's like it is like a famous feature of their museum and I think they used it on their like signage like an image of like not like like a drawing of like mm-hmm. the finger pointing to like tell you to go places I'm pretty sure I remember that being something that they did cool so you know yeah highly recommend it it's a good museum well if you're looking for uh, a point in some direction for where to go I would suggest heading over to at probpolitics instagram to see what we have posted there or going to the at probpolitics <laughs> twitter account or check us out uh on our uh website uh we have links to that in our twitter and our instagram because uh the website name is too complicated to remember and put here send us an email at probablypolitics at gmail.com if you want to hear back from us and want to get uh, on our newsletter and mm-hmm. if you have a finger that isn't stuck in a museum case somewhere, use that finger to mm-hmm. tap like and then tap review and then tap all of the nice things you want to say about us. Several letters, yeah. <laughs> and then paste that review wherever you're listening. And thank you for listening to Probably About Politics, this episode of uh, Trying to Talk About Good Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. We love you. We love you all. Stay safe. <laughs>